God exceeds our expectations. We're going to talk about exceeding expectations today, the way that God exceeded our expectations. It's exciting to see God working, but in the resurrection, in the Easter story, God exceeded expectations in ways that blow our minds, are phenomenal. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. I want us today, as we celebrate Christ's resurrection, I want us to never forget what was accomplished. Never forget how Christ exceeded all expectations. I'm a teacher, and every once in a while, a student will exceed expectations, truly exceed expectations, do something really amazing. And one of the things that strikes me is oftentimes, right before a student exceeds expectations, I look at what they're doing, and I think, this is not going to work. That's what happened with Christ. I think the disciples, he failed. In, in their minds, he was dead. Everything they had hoped for, everything they had invested was gone. And then Sunday morning, Christ exceeded expectations. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. What I want to show you in 1 Corinthians 15 is, first of all, the gospel. The gospel is what's central. I want to show you that it's true. I want to show you that it bears a responsibility for us. And then I want to show you that there is hope because of the gospel. So we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians today. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth. If the book of Ephesians could be described as a book about God's universal church, then the book of 1 Corinthians could be a book about the local church. Doctrine, instruction for a local body of believers. That's us, by the way. There's tons in here. Uh, Emily and I once took a course on 1 Corinthians it was a week long, all day long, and we got through chapter 10. There's a lot in here. Well, you probably have Easter dinner, so um, we won't start at chapter 1. We'll start in chapter 15. And what I want you to see is Paul's doctrine of the resurrection and the significance of it. So we're going to start here today in verses 1 and 2. And I want to show you the reminder in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, that the gospel is not to be forgotten. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Did you see what Paul said? I want to remind you of the gospel that I preach to you. The gospel is not to be forgotten. Now, you might be thinking, what do you mean the gospel is not to be forgotten? That's the basics, right? My answer is yes and no. Yes, the gospel is the basics. But no, the gospel is not just the basics. You see, we know the gospel. We've heard the gospel. The gospel is in the Bible. 
The gospel that we are all sinners, destined to separation from God, but Jesus died to pay our sins. He was buried, and he rose again three days later. We know this gospel. We read it in the Bible. As a church, we know this gospel. We preach it to individuals. But it is central. The gospel is central, and so it needs to be remembered. It needs to be never forgotten. In the text here, the Apostle Paul says that the gospel is that on which we stand. I'm going to do a couple of grammatical things here because there's some cool grammar here that I don't want to skip over. In Greek, there is what's called the perfect tense. It's hard for us to emulate really well in English, the way it works in Greek. In Greek, the perfect tense is an event that happened in the past but continues to affect us right now in the present. So it happened in the past, but its effects are present right now. There's lots of things that happened in the past that have nothing to do with your life right now. All of the high school students who are in history class say, yep. Okay, there's lots that happened in the past that doesn't affect us. But the gospel does. We stand on the gospel. It happened in the past. We accept Jesus as our Savior. That's in the past. We stand on it. But it affects our life today. That's why we can't forget it, because it is affecting us today. But more than that, the gospel is that on which we are saved. And here's something interesting in this passage. While taking the stand was in the perfect tense, happened in the past, continues today, the term for saved here is actually in the present tense. It's continuing to happen. Now, that doesn't mean that you're continuing to be saved from your sins. Jesus did that. That's paid. What it means is you are continually being made more Christ-like. When you accept Jesus as your sins, you are taken from a position of enemies of God to a position of family of God. In a moment, the moment you say, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins, you are moved from an enemy of God to the family of God. But throughout the rest of our lives, we grow to be more and more like Christ. How do we do that? The gospel. The gospel cannot be forgotten because that's how we grow to be like Christ. But more than that, it keeps getting better. This is what it means to exceed expectations. But more than that, the gospel is that on which we hold fast. The gospel is our anchor. The gospel is what unites us together. I'm thrilled to call you friends. But through the gospel, you're more than friends. You are my brothers and sisters in Christ. When we hold fast to the gospel, we have more than we could ever imagine. So I want to give you an action step here. I want you to take a second, take time, and remind yourself about the gospel today. Think back to that day when you first realized you were a sinner and Christ died for your sins. If you have not had such a day, we should talk so that you can have that day. Think back, though, to the day when you first realized that Jesus died for your sins. Remind yourself of the gospel. Go even further. 
If you want to pull out your phones here, set a reminder for a week from now or 10 days from now to remember the gospel. I'm serious. If you want to do that, you can. Set yourself a reminder to remember the gospel. Better yet, come back next week. We'll talk more. We'll remind you of the gospel. Remember the gospel. Some of my favorite events are family holidays. I grew up with three younger brothers, and we had quite the adventures. And we sit around the table, and we talk about the events in our past that have shaped who we are today. Talk about the gospel. Remember, it changes who you are today. Talk to each other about the gospel. Let's move on to verses 3 through 7. Verses 3 through 7. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Did you see in that passage the claim, the statement, that the gospel is not just a fairy tale? The gospel is not just a simple fairy tale. No, it is much more. It is much more. See, first of all, the gospel matters. The gospel truly, really matters. Again, I'm sorry, but I want to talk about just a little bit of grammar here because it matters in this passage. The gospel here, as Paul outlines it, is that Jesus was dead, buried, and raised. Dead is in what's called in Greek the aorist tense. It's the simple past tense. Jesus was dead. Okay? Buried, also in the aorist tense. Simple past, Jesus was buried. Then Paul changes up his verb. Raised is in the present. Jesus was raised. He was raised, sorry, the perfect. He was raised in the past, and it changes our life today. He was raised, but it matters today. It happened then. It matters now. The gospel matters. It impacts us today. Beyond, though, that the gospel matters, I want you to see that the gospel is purposeful. It's intentional. It's not just an accident. I have lots of stories in my life that are great stories that were complete accidents, and I'm lucky that I walked away okay. That's not the gospel. The gospel happened according to the scriptures. If you look in those verses in 3 through 7, it talks about Jesus died according to the scriptures. God, from the very beginning of history, outlined how this was going to play out. He wrote it out in the prophets. Isaiah 53 is one such example. This is a classic Messiah Easter text. Isaiah 53, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, 
a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We, all like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people, he was punished. Jesus was sent to die for us. Centuries before Jesus came, Isaiah told us that Jesus was going to die for us. Jesus died according to the scriptures. It was purposeful. He was buried. Why does it matter that he was buried? Because you don't bury someone that's not dead. That really is what's important there. Jesus was truly dead. There was no doubt. Nobody thought any different. He was dead and buried. He was gone. But the gospel, the good news, is that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. Just as the scriptures foretold, Jesus rose the third day. The gospel was purposeful. So, I told you the gospel is not a fairy tale. First of all, it really matters. Second of all, it was purposeful. It wasn't by accident. And third of all, it was seen by many. The Apostle Paul here in 1 Corinthians 15, he says something that we're actually all very familiar with. He says, fact check me on this. Fact check me on this. Let me tell you how to fact check me. Here is a list of people that you can go to that can confirm what I'm saying is accurate. Remember, the book of 1 Corinthians was written in AD 56. That's only 23 or so years after the resurrection. That means that it was in people's memory still. Not only does the Apostle Paul say, fact-check me on this, he actually gives just enough information that we know the story was well-known. If I tell you, remember when the plane hit the first tower, all of you who were alive 21 years ago, you know exactly the event I'm talking about. I don't have to give every detail. The Apostle Paul didn't have to give every detail because everybody knew this had happened. Then he lists off a bunch of people. Go check it out with these people. Go talk to Peter. He'll confirm this story. Talk to any of the disciples. In fact, you know what? There's 500 people that you can go talk to. And they will tell you, this really happened. You see, faith is not unfounded optimism. When we talk about our faith, we're not talking about an unfounded optimism that things are just going to work out. It's all good. No. We're talking about a faith 
in an event that really, truly happened and changed the world. Faith involves knowledge, assent, and confidence. That's what we mean when we talk about faith. We'll talk more about faith next week. So what do we do? We eagerly wait in anticipation. Eagerly wait for that moment when our faith, our knowledge, our assent and confidence will be made sight because we too will join the list of people who have seen the risen Lord. Anticipate that. It's coming. It's real. So we expect it's going to happen. I want to move on to verses 8 through 11. Starting in verse 8, Paul says, And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even to deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am that I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. The gospel doesn't come without responsibility. Because of the gospel, we have a responsibility. Have you ever been given something that you had great responsibility for? Maybe the keys to a fancy car to go take it out for a drive. For me, it was the keys to an airplane. It was fun, but I felt a lot of responsibility. We have been given with the gospel something of incredible value, the news that affects all of mankind. And I want you to see Paul's feeling of responsibility. First of all, he says that he's unworthy. The term here is, is really pretty brutal. Um, it was to describe something that someone that survived a miscarriage somehow. That's the picture here. That's not something that's pretty. Paul is saying, I'm completely unworthy of this gospel. Completely unworthy. But then, I want you to see what happens. He talks about grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me is not without effect. And then sandwiched in there, between two statements about God's grace, Paul says, I worked harder than all men. Don't miss that. You see, grace is what saves us. We can never work hard enough to get into heaven. Grace is what saved us. But... After we're saved, after grace has been applied to us, we have a responsibility to work. We have a responsibility to serve Jesus. A responsibility to serve the one who purchased us. The responsibility of grace is that we work. And the result of taking that responsibility is that the gospel is preached. One of the things that has blown my mind in serving God is how often what I have prepared to do or what I have worked to do 
is not the thing that brings the results. God brings the results. But what God does is when I start working for him, God takes over and brings the results. It's not what I did. It was that God wanted me to work. He wanted me to take that responsibility, and then he took over, and he gets the glory. That's the responsibility of grace. That's the result of taking responsibility, is the gospel is preached, and God works. So what should you do? What should you do in light of this? Live as an indentured servant. Live for the one who purchased us. Commit to working. The Apostle Paul says, I worked harder than all of them. He poured his life into the gospel. And God used it. How are you going to work for the gospel this week? How can you serve this week, this month? Set yourself a goal. Many of you have already pledged to pray. What an excellent way to serve the gospel. Take that and work. We have a responsibility. But there's more. Let's look at verses 12 to 20. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we have then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Thank you, Paul, for a long argument there. This is one of Paul's arguments, and they, they become quite, quite dense. But what I want you to see here is that the gospel is not without more to come. You see, the gospel is that on which we stand. It saved us. It saved us from separation from God. It unites us together. But there's more. There is more to come. If all that had happened was God had saved me from my sins, that would have been enough. But he did more. God did more than just save me from my sins. He gave me a hope in the resurrection. The resurrection matters. Today, we are here to celebrate Easter morning, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, because the resurrection proves some very important facts for us. First of all, there is bodily resurrection coming in the future. There is going to be a point where Jesus restores our physical bodies, gives us new physical bodies, the resurrection matters. Epicurean philosophers were famous for saying, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Can you imagine the hopelessness of that? 
If there's no tomorrow, what's the point of today? I mean, think about that. If there is literally no tomorrow, what is the point of today? Virtually everything that you do today anticipates a tomorrow. The resurrection matters because it guarantees a tomorrow. The resurrection matters because, as Paul says, if there's no resurrection, then Christ wasn't raised, which means that we're just wasting our time here. In which case, this is all hopeless. But Christ arose, which means there is a God that can be trusted. God who wants to live eternity with you. There is a God who raises the dead, and he will raise you. And if you will accept that gift of salvation that God offers, he will raise you unto eternal life. Christ arose. Christ arose. Therefore, we will determine to live with hope, knowing that there is coming a day when those who we've lost, we will see them again. When those who have accepted Jesus as their Savior will be restored to life. So, how do we pull all of this together? Don't forget the gospel. Don't forget the gospel. Remind yourself of it. Don't look at the gospel as a fairy tale. Rather, anticipate seeing Christ again. How do we do that? By living as indentured servants with an expectation of a future hope where Christ is going to restore all that is broken in this world that is broken. Because we have a hope. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for sending Jesus. His death on the cross brought forgiveness for sin, for my sin, for the sin of those here. But beyond just forgiving our sins, Jesus rose. And his resurrection proves that we have a future hope, an expectation, a knowledge that we will be united with you in life, in physical bodies, resurrected as Christ was resurrected. Jesus rose. He was the first fruits of those risen from the dead. I pray that today we would determine to live with that hope. That we would invest ourselves as indentured servants, knowing that what we experience here on earth is just the tip of the iceberg. You have so much more in store for us. I pray that we would live with that hope. In Jesus' name, amen.